Play ball! That's right, it's almost time for the World Series. And here we are at .NET Rocks. We're rooting for the Red Sox. Well, half of us are anyway. The other half is uh, was probably rooting for the Atlanta Braves. Of course, they they missed it. But this isn't a show about baseball. It's about .NET. And it rocks, come to think of it. I am your host in New London, Connecticut, Carl Franklin. And as always, as is usually the case, I should say, my uh, co-host, my partner in crime, Mr. Mark Dunn. How are you, Mark? Howdy, howdy, Carl. How's it going? I'm uh, just caught up in the whole playoffs World Series thing, and and uh, been you know I'm a Red Sox fan, right? I know that I'm a Braves fan. Well, we just got done watching the uh, Red Sox clinch the first stage of the championship. To uh, they're now playing the Yankees. They were playing the Oakland A's in a series of five, and uh, we all get all worked up about this in uh, in the Northeast. Uh, especially because we're so used to having our hopes dashed against the rocks at the last minute. Bill Buckner. Um, anyway, anyhow, uh, we're not here to talk about baseball. We're here to talk about .NET. So, um, so how you been? Yeah, I've been doing good. I've recovered from our tavern show now. Jeez, I hope the world is recovered. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just judging by some of the response we got... Uh, Microsoft, as you know, is going to sponsor a .NET Rock show at the PDC, the Primary Developers Conference, and uh, it's going to be a Hollywood Squares type show with lots of experts and regional directors on a panel. It's going to be a lot of fun on Sunday night at the PDC, just uh, so you know. But they gave that show to us under one condition, that we never, ever do another show from the Dutch Tavern. So, <laughs> Right, right. I, I think that's best for everyone concerned. <laughs> yeah, I saw a couple of blog entries. Carl and Mark get wasted. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't, we didn't go that far. but No, no, no. A couple of beers. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in response to that uh, catastrophe, we are back with a stellar, stellar show. As you know, we've interviewed some incredible people on this show. Alan Cooper, Mark Anders, uh, heavyweights like Billy Hollis and Rocky Lotka and Javal Lowy, Brent Rector. And the tradition continues today. We have, as you know, Mark, our guest, Scott Guthrie. When we were talking to him about how we should introduce him, uh, you know, we're trying to think of this long list of credentials, and there's really only one credential. He's in charge of the ASP.NET team at Microsoft. Right. And uh, he is the guy who runs that team. He invented ASP.NET with Mark Anders. And he also runs the Visual Studio Web Development Tools team. So as he says, when you think of web development tools in .NET, you think of him. He's the guy who's in charge of it all. No kidding, man. That's better than a degree from MIT. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. A degree from MIT will get you a gas station job right now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, without any further ado, let me introduce Scott Guthrie. How are you, Scott? Pretty good, Carl. What an honor it is. What an honor it is, Scott, sir. <laughs> That's right, Scott. It goes without saying that I'm very excited no. that you're on the show today. And for Mark to get excited is an incredible, you know, thing. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, we've we've been trying to put this together for a while now, so it uh, it, it is generally a cause for excitement that we've we've got it going. That's the reason why we went to the bar, right? Yeah, that's right. We were we were depressed. <laughs> no, as it turned out, 
we've just been waiting for a good opportunity for schedules to meet, and this is it. Oh, sounds great. Well, Scott, uh, I got to tell you, I first met you at Dev Connections, and uh, good conference, by the way, which you always do keynotes at. And uh, you were sh this was last year in New Orleans? Yes. And you were showing uh, Widby. This was before Alpha came out. This was before anybody had even heard of it. And you showed a uh, ASP.NET demo, which we talked about on the show actually a couple of times, where you just took a table from the server explorer, dragged it onto a page, and there was a grid. Boom. And you set a couple of, like, the sorting property, and it sorts, and you sort the edit property or whatever, the and allow editing or enable editing or whatever property, and it turns into an editable grid that automatically updates with no with no code. And, and uh, another thing you said that was that blew me away was that the goal of ASP.NET is to reduce the amount of code that people have to write by 75%. Are you guys on the mark for that number? Yeah, that's that's sort of one of our big goals that we have for ASP.NET 2.0, uh, which is codename Whidbey. Right. And it's basically kind of really focused on developer productivity, really look hard at what are the types of apps um, that people are building today with ASP.NET and with you know web development in general, and really try to figure out, okay, how can we you know how can we make it easier? How can we make it faster um, in terms of you know building your app and, and deploying it and running it, and um, you know how can we just you know, make life better for developers. And so and that is one of our goals is to try to cut down the number of lines of code you need to write or, you know, more specifically, the amount of time it takes to get an app out um, in terms of writing code by about 70, 75% from going from ASP.NET B11 today to ASP.NET would be, which is the 2.0 release. So it's a pretty ambitious goal. Yeah, um, I would say so. Every time I say it, no one believes me. Uh, so, you know, one of those fun goals that, you know, everyone kind of rolls their eyes and goes, oh, yeah, sure. And that's an average, too, right? I mean, there are some features that you reduce the amount of code you have to write by 100% or 99.9%. Sure, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of the collective sum, and, and uh, we think we're fairly close. If, if, you know, usually if, if people give me an hour or two, you know, building some apps and doing some demos, people leave pretty convinced that, you know, Either we're already there, or we're pretty darn close. So, uh, so yeah, we're feeling pretty good about that. Cool. Now, this is uh, a case where you're generating more code that uh, the the programmer doesn't have to write, but the code is accessible to them. Is that correct? Yes and no. I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do is avoid a situation where we kind of, from a tool perspective, try to hide productivity by just sort of what we call code spitting code into your face or, or behind the covers. Right. Because um, what we find is that ultimately that works okay for kind of demo purposes, but when you're in a real app and you kind of don't understand what's going on in terms of the code that's there, and you know the, the code might not be round tripped, and you make an update, and then the tool clobbers it, that you end up running into problems there. So what we've tried to do is avoid generating code kind of on the fly, you know, generating code into your project, and instead really focused on trying to come up with a set of features that kind of build in a uh, in a stack layer, and I can describe that more. Yeah. And and really try to sort of bake in core features into the product in a nice layered approach so that you can go ahead and get down and dirty and actually tweak them and, and really customize them in a rich level. But at the same time, you don't actually have to have a tool that's generating thousands of lines of code for you. Right. So when that, I say reducing 75% really of code, basically I mean the total amount of code in your project, both that you've written and the tool you know generates for you. Wow. 
Fantastic. Um, Are there other big goals or themes of ASP.NET uh, would be that other than the reduction in code? Yeah, well, so, so one of them is certainly a reduction in code. Uh, the other kind of big themes that we have focus, uh, you know, to some extent less on developers and more on administrators and kind of you know, how can you go ahead and manage um, a single server or a farm of servers in a really easy way. So, for example, like we've invested a lot of effort in V2 focusing on configuration management. Yeah. You know, in V11 or V1 and V11, we had a sort of an XML-based config system that we still have in V2, and people like it because it's simple. They can understand where the config is stored. They understand, you know, they can use any you know text editor to go ahead and update it. Mm-hmm. What we've added in V2 though is built on top of that model and introduced a rich config API, so that in addition to you know using standard text editors or XML editors to update your config, you can also now you know write a programmatic script to update things. Um, you know, Are there enhancements to Server Explorer that uh, that make it easier for administer administrative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so on top of that config API, we then have rich admin tools. Cool. And we have a variety coming out. And so, for example, inside your ISMMC snap-in now, you'll just see an ASP.NET tab. And within there, every single setting inside the config file can be uh, administered you know, using a you know a, a kind of easy Windows-based admin tool um, that'll do validation and all that stuff. And you update any setting, hit OK, and basically we'll save it out to the XML files on disk. Now, does that work for any of the config files? or? Correct. Yeah, that'll go ahead and work for every single section that we ship inside our uh, either machine.config or web.config files. Wow. And, and we'll automatically know which config file to put them in. You know, so if you're updating an application setting, we'll put it into the web.config file inside the application. You know, alternatively, you can you know, if you make a site-wide setting, it'll save it at the site level, or if you make a machine change, it'll make it at the machine level. Wow, that's that's cool. When we were talking with Javal Lowy on the show a couple of shows ago, that was one thing that I wished, uh, I told him I wished that I would see in the next version, and I, apparently that's true, is just uh, configurators, you know, mm-hmm. UI to, to work with the XML. If you're not uh, careful, you know, and you use the wrong case for a setting or something like mm-hmm. that, you can mess things up. So that's a welcome a welcome addition. Yeah, certainly for editing XML. Uh, you'll, you'll also see in our development tools inside Visual Studio, um, so less, this is less the administrator focus and more the developer focus, Right. you're going to see uh, IntelliSense when you're actually editing a web.config file. Wow. And so you will get you know, statement completion as well as sort of validation of, of web.config files as well as XML files in general. Right. So Fantastic. Anything that has a schema or a DTD, you'll get IntelliSense and validation against uh, Scott, since you brought up IntelliSense, I've got to ask you uh, if you're writing inline script mm-hmm. uh, or basically inline ASP.NET, mm-hmm. uh, do you get IntelliSense now for uh, for the script or the language inside the HTML view? Yeah, so so uh, it's a good question. So the question is basically if you're writing, so in ASP.NET we have two models of development. One is called code behind, and the other one is called sort of single page or single file um, approach, and that's where you have server code inside the ASPX file itself. And that can be either inside the angle back percent block or more commonly with ASP.NET, you have a script or an equal server block that you have your event handlers inside. Um, and so the code's logically separate, but in the same physical file. Right. And with Visual Studio today, you don't get IntelliSense for the code inside those. Um, with Widby, um, Visual Studio will support full IntelliSense against those, as well as debugging. Awesome. That um, is awesome. And uh, we obviously continue to fully support code behind. Um, we, we've actually made a number of improvements to code behind to make it even cleaner and um, uh, simpler and a little bit more object-oriented than it is today. 
Um, and the nice thing is, as a developer, you basically get to choose, you know, which of the two models that you want to use. Um, we typically see a lot of professional developers and, and enterprise developers prefer the code behind model, um, but but a lot of developers also prefer single file. And so the nice thing is you can choose whichever one you want. Well, Mark, uh, you know, it sounds like th that it's really true, the tenet that I've heard, that Microsoft tools tend to be really good at version 3. Right, right. And this, uh, you know, not that versions 1 and 2 weren't incredible, but, uh, you know, the focus was on core fundamental features, and now it sounds like you guys... Uh, uh, Scott are are going the extra mile and saying, all right, how how can we make the stuff easier to use? How can we make it easier for the programmer? How can we uh, add the little nice things that we're known for? Yeah, it's 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 in many ways both in terms of the platform as well as the tool side, um, kind of a, a version three product, if you will. I mean, I guess it is technically a version three. Yeah. Um, Would you agree with that though? That version threes tend to be awesome. Like, look at DOS, DOS three o, Visual Basic three o. They tend to be the real, you know, when the rest of the world says, ah, now I'm going to get it. Yeah, it's, it, version 3s tend to be big. Um, I, one of the reasons for that, and this, this is true, I think, for .NET, is, you know, version 1 was a massive, you know, big undertaking that took right. sort of years and years to work on. And, and one of the things when you, when you work on a product, especially a V1 product, where you don't have existing tests to leverage, you don't have kind of existing documentation to leverage, you don't have you right. know, existing code base to leverage, you're just doing so much that you know it takes an awfully long time to ship it, and you know as you get towards the end, you know you suddenly realize, wow, you know to make it complete we need just this extra one feature. Uh, yeah. You know, wouldn't it be great after building some apps to have this feature and this feature? And, and you have people going, no, ship it, ship it, no. Well, yeah, the, the challenge you have is basically, you know, your test team is is saying, you know, hey, you know, we got to finish testing the entire product. The documentation team is saying we got to finish it. You know, the dev team is saying, hey, you know, we got a lot of bugs and perf tuning left to do. And so you end up having to say, okay, we're going to put that on the list for the next version or, or for a future version. Right. And so when we shipped V1, we had this sort of massive list of things that we wanted to do. When your next release comes out after a big V1 release, it, it tends to be a smaller release, kind of a point release. Like a fixes kind of thing. Yeah, you address kind of, you know, top customer issues. And, and frankly, you know, customers often want to see a point release that's after. That's, that's where it... You know, it's no longer a V1 release. It's a, it's a much safer release, right? Um, in terms of just you know presence of mind and stuff. And so, to some extent, the release that we um, came out with in 2003, which is codenamed Everett or uh, you know V11, to some extent was that type of release. It's it's a really great release, but it's it's more a, you know it's more of a fit and finish release where we added a few more things that we wanted to add in there, um, made it work better with Windows Server 2003, which just came out. Um, and did a lot of important things, but but not some of the big major things that we postponed from B1 that we wanted to address. Yeah, that's really what Wibby's about. Is it's it's basically, and we cracked open a spreadsheet that had, you know, a couple hundred major features, and we said, hey, let's just go to town. And <laughs> and uh, and uh, one of the things that we're working on doing for when um, probably later in October is we're going to release kind of a, a white paper. I'm calling calling kind of the 101 cool things you know coming in Wibby. And the goal is. Yeah. You know, have like a paragraph for each with maybe a screenshot and, and uh, have each of the 101 things make you go, wow, that's cool. Oh, man, yeah. I want that. And then you just keep going down the list and hopefully by the end you're just kind of um, in Nirvana. Well, as a preview to Nirvana, why don't you lay a few of those on us now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, within, within the law, of course. Sure. Um, let's see, a couple, couple fun ones that, that 
you know people might find uh, you know interesting. Let's say uh, you know data access is one that you talked about a little bit earlier about uh, unbelievable about you know kind of how can we reduce the lines of code you need to write in terms of data access and and more specifically how can you make web UI which is inherently a stateless operation meaning you're going back and forth between a client and a server um, how can you make that kind of stateless model work well for data access and today with v1 and ASP.NET we do have a clean data model in the sense that you can take any data source and data binding against the data control, and the data control will go ahead and render the content as HTML. That's it's much cleaner than classic ASP. It's much cleaner than say PHP or JSP. Yeah. Um, but the downside is you have to still write the, the two lines of code, you know, to set the data source and data bind it. And what's even worse though is you have to know where and when to actually write those two lines of code. Right. You know, is it inside your page load event handler? Well, it probably is, but you probably need to put it inside a if page not is post back. Right. You know, block in order to make sure you don't do it on a post back. And if, if you're doing a sort filter, when do you do the sort filter and when do you rebind the list? And and those are the kinds of things that people go to training classes for to figure out and they get, it drives them nuts. Yep. And, yeah. and, and once your page gets more and more complex, figuring out where all those edge, edge cases, you know, when do I need to do it and how do I do it, et cetera. Um, you know, it just ends up, ends up being, frankly, pretty hard. And, complex. Uh, you know, you, you end up going to a site, finding a sample and copying and pasting it. Uh, probably to get started in a lot right. of those yeah. situations. Yeah. You know, it ends up being challenging when you want to have a, a really rich, you know, data manipulation um, UI. And and what we've done in V2 is is made that kind of dramatically easier, so that you can do as you're as you're saying. You know, we can drag and drop a grid onto a page and and bind it to a data source, and you know, do sorting and paging, and editing and updating and uh, deleting, basically with no lines of code. How about other controls? Uh, new controls that you're introducing? Well, we're introducing uh, about, right now, in the alpha, we have about 40 new controls. Jeez. Server controls alone. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's, I... there's, there's a, a lot of new controls. You know, some of them, as I was mentioning, in the data space, you know, specifically to enable data, you know, binding and, and data manipulation, not just with kind of a two-tier data model, but also we're investing a lot um, in terms of making sure that we have a really great story for doing, like, three-tier data model. Right. Uh, manipulation. And, and so you'll see, you know, data-specific controls help enable that. Um, you'll see, you know, rich tree view controls. You'll see some really rich personalization controls that'll let you sort of customize your site as an end user in a rich way. Neat. You'll see security controls that'll help you manage, uh, you know, login authentication and role management on your site. Oh, that's great. UI. Yeah, you're going to see a, a lot of new controls. And the nice thing is all the controls are kind of, or not all of them, but most of them are built on top of what we kind of call building block services or application services. Um, so, for example, when we do have a control, um, like a security control that, that handles maybe, say, login um, authentication to your site. So you can just drop ASP colon login onto your site right. and you have a login system enabled. It, it's not encapsulated within the control itself. Instead, we actually have some rich membership and role management APIs underneath that. And that's what the, the login control is calling into. So if you're a developer who likes to write a lot, you know, who like, enjoys writing code, and more specifically, who wants to get their fingers dirty in the overall system, the nice thing is, is that the controls are all kind of a nice abstraction on top of a lower-level API that you can take advantage of as well. Now, um, I know Mark has got another question for you, but a quick one here. Third-party controls. The, the third-party controls that are coming out for Widby, and I imagine that you guys have a great program for vendors, um, are, are those going to be built on the 
intrinsic controls that are there in Widby in V2, or do you see a lot of third-party developers just starting from the control class and, and going up from there? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, think, I think you're going to see control um, developers do a mixture of both. There'll be people that will start um, you know, with, with the bare-bones control classes and, and build rich controls on top of that, and then there'll be people that will go ahead and do what we call composite controls. Right. Where basically what you're doing is you're building a control which in turn uses other controls, for example, like the ones that we ship in the box. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, the nice thing about our control model is that it enables kind of this kind of compositing nature, meaning you can have control built from other controls, which in turn is being used from another control. And so um, that is one of the kind of the most powerful parts of our overall control model. And so I expect a lot of people to start off with the controls that we ship. Um, and then right. they'll just you know, make them even richer. Well, Scott, speaking of controls, we're going to take a break for a, a word from our sponsor here. And uh, Mark's got some other questions, so hang tight, okay? Okay. You know, if you're going to be doing any serious ASP.NET development, you're going to have to check out Spread for web forms from Farpoint Technologies. This is a uh, grid spreadsheet for ASP.NET development that's got an incredible high-level features. Um, you can have multiple sheets, styles, paging, cell spanning, multi-line headers, sorting, a rich set of cell types, an incredible spread designer. It's all coded from the ground up in C-sharp. And it's affordable, too. It only starts at $599. And, uh, you know, Farpoint Technologies, they've been around since the good old days. This control is currently the featured control at www.asp.net. So there's an incredible review there. You can also check out more details online. Uh, and, by the way, if you're going to be doing any .NET Windows Forms development, you also might want to check out Spread for Windows Forms. Incredible stuff. Now let's get back to our show with Scott Guthrie of Microsoft talking about uh, ASP.NET 2.0 and Widby right here on .NET Rocks. Don't you go away. I know you got a question. You're chomping at the bit. I can hear you through the phone. Oh, a bunch of them. Uh, when you mentioned personalization earlier, uh, Scott, I thought about Commerce Server. Are there any enhancements that allow ASP.NET to work uh, well with Commerce Server or better? Uh, yeah, we're working very closely with the Commerce Server team as well as specifically the SharePoint team um, and the Content Management Server team, which are three products today that are built on top of ASP.NET v11. Um, and uh, and so there's there's definitely um, their next releases will all target Widby, and so you're going to see a lot of rich integration um, then where they're going to take advantage of uh, ASP.NET in a really rich way. Um, one of the things that we've done um, I mentioned earlier about how we have kind of these sort of building block APIs or building block services that 
we think apps are built on top of and to give you some examples of them like a membership service for authentication a role management service for role management and a personalization system um, to manage sort of personalization and this is all in the box these are all in the box oh yep. my god but one of the things that we've done which is kind of i think really cool um in v2 and, and really kind of um, I think resonates really well with uh, especially advanced developers is that all of the core building blocks um, APIs that we have and services that we provide are built on top of what we call provider model. And the way the provider model works is it's basically it's a configuration option where you can swap out our underlying data store or underlying functionality within that service and replace it with your own. Hmm. And so for example, if you don't like where we store usernames and passwords with our out-of-the-box membership system, which will store it in a database, um, or you don't like our schema that we put inside the database, you can basically subclass our provider, change the schema or change the location of the you know, credentials to be wherever you want, um, and then basically you can just register your provider inside the web.config file, or alternatively the machine.config file. Nice. And, so, and, and from that point on, anything that uses that membership API will delegate to your provider, and you can basically intercept and do whatever you want there. And the nice thing is all of our controls that are built on top of those APIs, you know, in turn, then we'll call into your provider. And so one of the things that we're doing is working very closely with, you know, you know, commerce server, like you mentioned, CMS and SharePoint, um, to basically uh, enable them to go ahead and intercept and plug into these APIs. And what that means is that they're able to do much, much richer integration into ASP.NET than they were able to before. Um, and so when, when I install commerce server, rather than use the ASP.NET credential system, I could, for example, use the commerce server credential system instead. Right. Likewise, for personalization, I could use the SharePoint personalization system instead of the out-of-the-box one, or I could write my own personalization system and plug it in as well. And so that gives um, kind of advanced solutions sort of a really rich opportunity to customize and extend the system in ways that you, you couldn't before. Fantastic. Uh, also, back to controls again, the data crit is certainly a, a very popular control Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of websites uh, exist out there, like Marcy Robillard's Data Grid Girls, mm -hmm. uh, that target you know just what you can do with it. Uh, can you tell us anything about enhancements to the Data Grid and Whidbey? Yeah, I mean, uh, probably the biggest enhancements that we're making to kind of our grid controls, or specifically with regard to kind of enabling more out-of-the-box scenarios to just work with the grid control. So things like sorting and paging, um, things like editing. Um, things like deleting. You know, today the grid provides UI to handle those scenarios, but to really, you know, to handle the sort, you need to handle an event on the grid, talk to the data source directly, get the data, and then apply There's it to the data grid. view. Or something. Um, yeah, and, and and so you have to write, you know, some additional code to sort of manage that relationship. And so the the controls being enhanced significantly, so that basically out of the box, you know, that that'll just work. Right. Um, and so you just you can just set a property which is yeah, enable sorting. And internally, it'll go ahead and provide the sorting mechanisms in order to do that. Are there enhancements um, to uh, to things like setting up template columns? That, mm -hmm. uh, template editing is getting a lot richer. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really, I gotta tell you, I really didn't dislike the template editing UI. Yeah, the template editing UI <laughs> is got a, a pretty major um, update to it. Um, a, a couple other kind of neat tricks that are are being added to template editing is the ability to do two-way data binding. So, for example, today, if, if you build a template inside a data grid column and you put it in a text box, um, you can do binding so that you can actually populate the text box with a value inside the data grid. 
Um, and that's fairly easy to do, and you can do that declaratively. If you want to enable an update scenario, though, you end up having to, to I forget the exact event, but it's basically like the, the, the column update or row update event. Right. Um, and you have to basically pull the value out of the text box and set it on a property um, and write the explicit code to do that. Yeah. And the nice thing now is we have this sort of de- declarative uh, way that you can basically say to a control, this is the property I'm binding against its parent container, um, and it's two-directional. And so when the container says, I want to do an update, we can actually automatically pull the value out of that property and push it to the container. You've, you've had only one directional binding Right, so it's basically two-directional binding now. And that's more of what people expect out of binding anyway, I think. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it specifically for doing kind of templated, uh, templated column editing, it makes it much richer. So is it, is it easier then to uh, set up drop-down combo boxes and things like that in the grid? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Fantastic. Um, other things that we're doing specifically with template editing, um, you're going to see much richer design time UI for when you want to do binding against a parent. Now, today, you kind of have to fish around in kind of the property grid to figure out exactly how you go ahead and set up a binding relationship. Um, we'll kind of have helper UI that will kind of guide you towards that. Um, and then ultimately, uh, the other thing that we're kind of doing is if you build a custom column type, which a lot of um, uh, control developers have done and, yeah. and post them on the web, um, the, design, the tool will actually recognize those types when they're installed on the property or on the toolbox. And so we'll automatically, you know, enable those things as, as options that you can add, as, you know, convert your column into uh, within, within the design surface as well, which, which enables a lot of rich scenarios where someone could build, for example, a drop-down list column or, um, right. you know, whatever custom column they want, they can just add it to their project. And from that point on, they can use it with the standard data grid and away you go. Right. Are there any uh, issues with migrating current ASP.NET projects over to Woodby? Well, our goal with Widby is, is 100% backwards compatibility, which means uh, specifically you can take an existing app that's running and you can copy it onto a server and it should just work. Um, no code changes required, no recompilations even required inside the tool. Um, everything should just work. Um, ASP.NET 2.0 is also now 64-bit enabled, which means that hmm. you can actually copy your existing app, which is running on, say, an Intel 32-bit system, and you can actually copy it onto a 64-bit machine, and it will just work. Um, but it, specifically, it'll work inside a 64-bit address space. So you can now take advantage of, you know, oodles and oodles of memory. And I, ta- I, I take it that updating, uh, loading an old project from Visual Studio 2003 into Widby will automatically do the conversions necessary. Correct. Yeah. When you, yeah, when you go to update a project, um, you know, all your source code will continue to work. Uh, and, and what what Widby will go ahead and do, Visual Studio Widby will go ahead and do, is if you have an existing Everett project or existing Visual Studio 2002 or 2003 project, it'll basically uh, um, upgrade it and migrate it to Widby, and so upgrade the you know upgrade the project system, and um, uh, and that's, that's you'll good. be able to just hit F5 and away you go. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, explicitly, no code changes required. I want to ask you a little bit about Microsoft Windows 2003 and IIS 6.0. As it relates to this new version of ASP.NET, um, how closely related are they, and what are the sort of the benefits that an ASP.NET 2.0 uh, application can get from Windows Server 2003 that they couldn't from Windows 2000? Sure. Well, so one important thing to call out is that uh, ASP.NET Widby um, will run on 
any of the existing IIS versions that ASP.NET supports today. Okay, good. So it'll run on IIS 6 and Windows Server 2003. It'll also run on IIS 5 with Windows 2000. And it will also run on IIS 5.1, which ships as part of Windows XP Pro. Okay. Um, so you don't need to upgrade your operating system. You don't need to upgrade your web server in order to use ASP.NET 2.0. Your existing investments just work fine. Now, the other thing, though, is that if you do have an IS6 um, server running on Windows Server 2003, there are a number of features that um, we can take advantage of um, that provide you kind of additional benefits. And so some of the specific ones uh, I can think of, um, one of them includes sort of uh, scenarios where I have, let's say, a site, and I want to use the ASP.NET security system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a mixture of classic ASP pages as well as ASP.NET pages as well as HTM pages and JPEGs, etc. Um, today with ASP.NET, there isn't a way that you can use the forms authentication system to securely um, block access to classic ASP pages. Um, certainly if you use Windows authentication, you can do it across both. But if I'm using sort of an HTML-based forms authentication model where I'm authenticating against a database, etc., I can't, for example, you know, deny or, or allow access based on roles to classic ASP pages. Mm-hmm. Um, with ASP.NET 2.0 and IIS 6, you can. And so you can, you can even do it for non-ASP things, so things like Java server pages or PHP as well. You can basically just go ahead, either using the admin tool or you can just use the web.config file and say, like directly and explicitly just say, oh, you know, deny access to this classic ASP resource unless you're in this role. And... You know, the ASP.NET security system will just kick in and away you go. Hmm. So integrating with uh, existing content you know, becomes much richer. Right. Other and things that you can take advantage of include performance. Um, we'll get much better performance on IS6. Um, 64-bit is now is, is something that's fully enabled on uh, Windows Server 2003. You, you know, Mark uh, Anders talked a little bit about the performance benefits of Server 2003. That was a long time ago, though. Um, that was almost a year ago, wasn't it, Mark? What, are, what, is, what is the real deal with, uh, you know, technically speaking, with Server 2003 and the reason why it's so much higher performant? Yeah, for Windows Server 2003, there's kind of two major reasons why it performs better. Um, one is just there's been a lot of core OS tuning, uh, which just makes overall operations faster. So, for example, if you look at, like, file system performance or file sharing performance, okay. you know, things non-web related you'll see Windows Server 2003 is just a lot faster there. Okay. Um, for web-specific stuff, then, the thing that really makes Windows Server 2003 faster is IIS 6 and the new architecture model that IIS 6 has. Um, so specifically, um, if you have IIS 5 or kind of an existing IIS web server, um, the way it works is uh, there is a web server running in uh, user mode, uh, which is kind of the standard you know, address space that, that applications that you and I write um, that run on top of an operating system run inside of. And it then in turn talks to the network driver in the kernel, um, which is listening on, say, port 80 um, to accept HTTP requests. And when a request comes in, um, it comes into the kernel, it then goes up into user mode, and then in user mode, that INET info process that's talking to the kernel, then in turn with ASP.NET calls out to the ASP.NET underscore WP.exe worker process, which is where your code's actually running. Right. And that's specifically separate from the web server so that if there's a crash or a memory leak or some issues runs into with the, uh, the application, it doesn't bring down the overall web server. Okay. Um, the downside, though, is that you're, you're basically doing a process hop. Yeah, um, that's expensive. An additional expensive. process hop on each request. 
and and so that you know that 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 takes some you know takes some resources up. Now the good news is that we've kind of optimized it such that you know the process hops actually um, even with a simple page ends up being faster than classic ASP when hmm. it's when it's running inside IS5 in proc. So hmm. you know it, it's not a huge performance hit, but uh, but there is opportunities to make it faster. And what we did with IS6 is IS6 actually rather than have the core HTTP listener running in user mode inside INET Info. Um, there's instead a network driver called HTTP Sys or HTTP.sys that runs in kernel mode. And so when a HTTP request comes in now, um, basically it will then directly go from kernel mode into the worker process that's hosting ASP.net nice. to process the request. And so there's one less process hop. And, and so you when you're transferring yeah. a lot of content or you know a large HTML page or JPEG or something like that. Um, it's just a lot more efficient on the system because you're not copying a large file twice. Yeah, I was going to say that that results in being able to handle a bigger load per box, even without you know CPU increases and exactly and all that. In memory usage, uh, uh, yeah. The, the other nice thing yeah, it helps in terms of memory usage. The other thing it helps is that we're able to the HTTP sys um, driver that runs in the kernel mode also has a built-in cache mechanism. So when you you can actually say I want to output cache this thing that I'm actually writing, and rather than store it in user mode, I want to basically put you know store the, the cache copy just the output um, right next to the the network driver in the kernel. And so for things like static JPEGs and HTML pages, that just makes things dramatically faster. And if you're using ASP.NET output caching on uh, on Windows Server 2003, ASP.NET will if it, if it detects that it can be cached in the kernel, will automatically push it down to that kernel level cache. Sweet. Um, and that can lead to sort of just you know dramatic performance wins. Wow. Um, in, in some of our tests, what we find typically is that we can't actually max out a Windows Server 2003 server when you have output caching. Um, it's actually not the physical server that ends up being the bottleneck. It ends up being the network. And so wow. you know, we, we can basically have two or three gigabit switches um, connected to the machine, and, and still it's, it's the network that's the limiting factor, not the CPU on the server. One more question, then I'll hand it over to Mark. What uh, what have you done in terms of uh, bandwidth throttling and and process throttling and things like that? Uh, any new improvements there? Um, yeah, so we it, Windows uh, or, or IS six does do um, as part of Windows Server two thousand three. So this is available today. Right. Um, does actually build in um, better support for. Uh, monitoring the CPU utilization and the network utilization of the server. And so specifically you can set, as well as the memory use utilization, and so you can actually set it on a per application or per application pool basis, which is sort of a unique process per application. You can basically say if, if the um, you know, memory goes above a certain level, um, either write to you know, an event so that an administrator can say, oh, there's something going, you know, I need to build this customer more because they're using more resources. Or you can also just set it so it'll automatically terminate the process and restart it. Um, so it's a little yeah. bit better in terms of throttling from that perspective. Interesting. Um, things that we're doing in ASP.NET 2.0 um, to make uh, kind of overall um, monitoring and, and uh, mo you know, overall monitoring better is specifically adding kind of rich eventing support so that we can automatically notify an administrator when we think an application is, is doing something wrong. And that cool. doesn't, that's no longer just sort of limited to memory usage. We can automatically send an email, for example, to an administrator anytime an unhealed exception occurs within an <laughs> ASP.NET app. Wow. And we can say, here's the exception that occurred. Here is the request in the browser that caused the exception to occur. 
Um, <laughs> and here's basically the stack trace of what it looks like. Here's the cookie that has his name and email address. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, and then basically <laughs> then we can then go ahead and email the administrator right, as right. well as write it to an event log and things like that. So kind of when I was talking about making administration and management better with ASP.NET 2.0, that also kind of falls in that bucket of, you know, how can we just kind of have self-healing and, and self-notifying um, applications that will basically go ahead and, and integrate with existing kind of IT operations yeah. staff. Here's the list of MP3 files on the client's machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't quite do that, but uh, along those lines, yeah. Well, Scott, I've got a burning question for you. Sure. Uh, if I've got an existing classic ASP application, I want to kind of build a, a blended uh, ASP.NET classic ASP app, mm -hmm. so I'm not having to rewrite everything. Are there any uh, any enhancements or solutions that would allow me to share session between uh, yeah. the two? Great question. Uh, yeah, there's a couple things that you can do. Um, one is, uh, well, one is is you can actually convert everything to ASP.NET. So I'll talk about the blending in just a second. Um, one of the things that we're actually just about to release in the next couple of weeks, um, we actually have a, we're kind of in beta testing right now, is an ASP to ASP.NET converter. Um, and so it's actually a tool that you can run on your classic ASP pages, um, and it will go through and actually automatically convert them to be ASP.NET enabled. Um, in which case, you know, everything in theory just works. You're saying this is like a big uh, upgrade wizard? Uh, yes, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, a, a big upgrade wizard. And it will be available for free off of the uh, www.asp.net website. Um, that's, that's awesome. I want to talk to you some more about that, but uh, right now we're just going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor. Well, I remember the first time I saw ants. I was about three years old in the backyard, and I watched them crawling around, burning them with a magnifying glass. No, I'm not talking about ants. I'm talking about ants, the advanced .NET tool suite from Redgate Software. The first time I saw that was about a year ago. Ants is a, uh, a, a profiler for ASP.NET or any web sites that you can use uh, in lieu of the testing utility, the default testing utility that comes with uh, Visual Studio. And you can set up scripts, and not only set up scripts on a single machine, but multiple machines to completely hammer your website and uh, put it under stress and see how it performs. You can monitor the stress levels of your website with performance counters. And guess what? It's all written in .NET. It's all managed code. Not only that, but it's got a script engine built in that will generate VB.NET code inside the product. And this is just very, very cool. I can't tell you how cool this product is. So uh, check it out at www.red-gate.com. Uh, it's affordable, and like I say, it's a .NET product. These guys are doing wonderful stuff over there in the UK. Check them out. Redgate software. Now let's get back to our show where uh, Scott Guthrie is going to uh, give us some secrets for merging ASP and ASP.NET uh, sites together. Right here on .NET Rocks. Hey, don't you go away, huh? Okay, we're back, and we're talking with Scott Guthrie about ASP.NET 2.0 and Widby. Mark, you were talking about a hybrid ASP.NET ASP system with Scott. 
Right, and Scott, I think you were just about to tell us uh, what what that enhancement was. Yeah, it's um, basically we're still investigating how we can whether we can we can share session state across classic ASP and ASP.NET automatically. Um, there's a good chance that won't make it into WIDB, although it might make, might there's a chance it might. If not, probably in the next release. Um, there are though a number of existing um, third-party applications or, or components that you can use. Um, that basically provide um, a mechanism by which you can use like a session object that's shared across both systems. And I think if you go to the control gallery on the www.asp.net website, um, you can actually find a couple of examples from those that you can download. Yeah, that's right. I've I've looked at those before. Um, but it is it is something we are also looking at, figuring out how we can maybe make it better directly in the box. Um, the biggest issue is historically has been that uh, it requires some some substantial changes to classic ASP. Yeah, I was going to say you may have a a problem with backward compatibility there if you go m messing with it. That that's why in the past that we we shied away from it is because we specifically want to you know one of the messages we had when ASP.NET first came out was you know we didn't touch classic ASP at all so you don't have to worry about any compatibility issues with upgrading. Um, and with our separate process model that we had in ASP.NET v1. Um, when running on non-Windows 2003 systems, um, that that would it would have required some huge changes to classic ASP to make that work. Um, with IS6 and um, the new worker process model, because we actually now run in the same worker process as classic ASP, um, there's a, there's a ch there's a good chance that we're going to be able to do some more stuff um, without making you know significant changes to classic ASP in order to enable that. Um, so I think you know keep an eye out for the next release of IS. Um, there's some there's some some stuff that we might be doing then. That's great. Uh, any enhancements to working with uh, component services or Com Plus? You mentioned doing three tier development earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're uh, in terms of in the WIDBY timeframe, um, there are uh, a number of things or a few things that are coming out in the Com Plus enterprise services arena. Um, one of which I think is called kind of. Uh, can't remember the exact name of it actually, but it's basically the mechanism by which you can start and stop a transaction at any fixed point. Um, mm. So you can basically say, I'm going to run this block of code and I want to start a trans distributed transaction and I want to end it here. Mm. A save point? Yeah, well, it's, it's not necessarily a save point in the sense that you can then later roll back. It's more a case of being able to launch and stop a distributed transaction without having to do it at, at an object boundary, which okay. is what you need to do today with Complus. Um, and so you can you can go ahead and have a single method, and you can you could sort of say, oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually have multiple transactions going on as part of this method, without having to break it up into three separate components with a separate kind of transaction configured for each. So that that I think is going to be a you know a, a pretty sweet feature that people will take advantage of. Um, in terms of overall making three tier development easier in terms of um, in terms of WIDBY, you're also going to see kind of a data access layer kind of designer show up in our tools. Um, so you're going to be able to go ahead and very quickly um, and, and sort of from a, a nice kind of design model perspective, kind of add tables and add stored procedures onto a design surface and then have those be represented as components um, that you can then access through code. And so you could say, oh, I'm going to add the products table onto my data access layer. I'm going to add a couple custom methods to it. Um, that are going to configure different queries based on that. Um, 
And then from code, I can just go ahead and access those in, in a strongly typed way, call into that data access layer and get my data back. Cool. Is that an evolution of the uh, data access bluebrick? Um, I think it's incorporating some elements of that. Um, there's also then object spaces, um, which is a new feature that's coming out, which is more sort of an object relational mapping tool. Um, that that's less of that, that's an alternative way you can also build your data access layer. I think that also incorporates some of the uh, the best practices. Hey Scott, um, it sounds like you, you're doing some new things with uh, data access that go to sort of the fundamentals of uh, using SQL Server and Visual Studio 2003. Is ASP.NET 2.0, WIDB, and Yukon are they sort of wrapped together? Do you, do you what's the relationship between those things? Yeah, so, so uh, as Carl alluded to, um, in the WIDBY timeframe, we're doing a lot of stuff with data access in, in SQL Server as well. Um, so specifically, one of the things that we're doing is, is adding the support for you to write managed code directly inside your database server. Um, so today, for example, if I wanted to write some ADO.NET code inside my ASP.NET app, um, or, some, or in a component being called from my ASP.NET app, that then calls to the database, and then you know calls a stored procedure within that d database. I have to write that stored procedure in T-SQL, um, you know, which is a sort of generic um, SQL kind of scripting-like language, if you will, in terms of doing data access. And for some things, T-SQL is very, very good. For other things, though, if I'm doing kind of complex joins or if I'm trying to do some conditional logic as to what I return based on, you know, the output in the database, T-SQL tends to be a fairly difficult language to express those things in. You know, specifically like procedural logic like an if statement or an else statement or a case statement, I end up having to kind of use SQL calculus and, and conditional logic in order to actually uh, to handle that. Hmm. And the nice thing with WIDB is I can now actually write my stored procedure using VB or C Sharp. And so I could just have an if statement and, and branch based on that kind of mechanism. Now that's going to also require an update to SQL Server, right? The Yukon. Correct. That, that's, uh, that's in the next version of SQL codename, codename Yukon. And, and so that comes these... out in the same time frame as would be. Okay, that's yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Um, and and our Visual Studio tools will have great support for basically, you know, building stored procedures, um, even doing richer things like user-defined types. So, for example, if mm. I want to build a custom column type, um, let's call it, you know, the point class or or, um, you know, some type of of custom data type that I want to store in my SQL database. Um, today, building a user-defined type in SQL is definitely doable, but from a coding perspective, can be a little challenging. Right. Uh, the nice thing is I can actually just build any standard value class using a .NET code and basically then use that value class as my user-defined type. Um, and so just say, for example, if I'm using C Sharp, I could just say I'm going to declare a struct. Here's the, you know, here's the name of the struct. Here are the five fields in it. And now I can actually use that to basically store data inside my database, which is a pretty cool feature. Very cool. This is probably a good time to... Uh to 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 disclaim the <laughs> the use of uh, managed code languages for everything in uh, Yukon, and this is a concern that some you know of our prior guests have had and we've had as well, is that I can see you know Attila the database administrator going through the roof when uh, they see lots and lots of code that they don't understand in the store procedures in their databases. So what advice would you give to the listener in terms of how do I know, you know, when I should use T-SQL and when I should use VB or C-sharp? Yeah, so it's, uh, I'm probably not the best person to ask that because I'm not a, okay. 
I know enough about data. Like, I'm actually, I know more about data access than most people, but I, I wouldn't claim to be a SQL Server expert. Um, I'd probably defer that to someone from the SQL team. But one of the one of the important things in terms of the message that we are communicating is that you can absolutely write an app that has both. So, yep. for example, you could say, oh, you know, these 20 stored procedures, which are fairly basic and simple, I'm just going to express them in T-SQL because they're only seven or eight lines of code. Okay. This one particular stored procedure, which is a thousand lines of, of T-SQL, and it's really, really complicated, um, and it's doing an awful lot of very advanced computation. This, I'm going to actually go ahead and write this using managed code. Cool. Um, and... You know, it's, it's, you can make those trade-offs where you can decide, oh, this, this thing is going to be in T-SQL, this thing isn't. Um, and the nice thing is the programming model for how you call those stored procedures is identical. Um, so, you know, from the external perspective, you just think you're calling a stored procedure. You don't think you're necessarily calling, right. you know, a managed method or anything like that. And so as a developer and as specifically as an administrator, you have an ultimately an awful lot of flexibility in terms of choosing, you know, what you want to express using whatever language you want. And so I think ultimately it's going to come down to particular IT shops and particular um, DBAs, you know, right. choosing kind of what do they feel most comfortable with, and and more specifically for the particular problem at hand, what makes the most sense. Uh, Scott, you mentioned caching before. Uh, what's what's new in terms of output caching and the cache object? Yeah, so that's that's one of the areas that we invested a lot in um, in terms of. Uh, kind of trying to take our output caching and just our overall cache engine forward. You know, so V1 today has a, a really rich kind of cache API and output cache system so that you can you can go ahead and actually say, you know, I'm getting back a data set from a database. I want to store this thing on the middle tier for a certain amount of time and reuse it as opposed to always going back to the database. Um, or likewise, with output caching, I can go ahead and explicitly say, this particular, say, product catalog page, um, I'm going to go ahead and save the result or output cache the result of this page for, let's say, 10 minutes. And as long as those same inputs come in, ASP.NET, rather than re-execute the page and go against the database, we'll just go ahead and immediately transmit the results back out. Um, so it's a, it's a really powerful feature um, that exists today. The one downside with it is that the way you specify kind of um, how long you want to cache something or, or how, you know, the, the cache and validation policy of the thing is always timer-based. Right. In other words, you say, I want to output cache this page for, you know, a minute at a time or 30 seconds at a time or, or 45 seconds. And uh, that's good in the sense that you can, you know, control the lifetime of the page. Um, it's bad if it's the page is based on data that's dynamic. Right. So in other words, if I'm going against the database, what I really want to say is don't cache this thing for, you know, 45 seconds. I want to say cache this thing as long as the data is accurate. Ah. And once the data changes, automatically invalidate the cache thing and regenerate it on the next request. That's a that's a feature that we've been wanting to have for a long time. We were talking about that on a prior show, whereas what a lot of people do is change a file or write out to a file. Isn't that what you were doing, Mark? Yeah, actually what we were talking about was using the, the cache object. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're caching a data set, and, yep. and what I really want to be able to do is if a user makes a, a change to the data in the database, I want it to somehow notify ASP.NET to reload uh, that data set into the cache object. Right. So a way that, that I was doing that before, uh, I, could, I could set it up so that it would respond to a file being changed. And uh, you know, basically was doing it with a trigger uh, through uh, SQL Server. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So what what I would want to do is avoid doing you know having to go through a trigger. That was kind of kludgy for me to to do it that way. Yeah, you can, you can kind of kludge it together a little bit using the file dependency support in the cache API today, and, and have a trigger that writes to a file or sends a message. Yeah, there's that's couple, exactly what I was doing. There's a couple downsides to that. You know, one besides the fact that you have to write you know a lot of code and kind of kludge that together. Um, the other big issue is that with a trigger that's sending a notification or writing to a file, you end up blocking synchronously the transaction that's completing. Right. Um, and so the database will end up being slower as a result um, if, you're, if you're not careful. And, and um, frankly, it ends up being pretty hard to avoid that. Um, what we're adding in V2 of ASP.NET, though, is, is built-in support between ASP.NET and SQL so that we can actually do that kind of invalidation scheme for you and do it very, very efficiently. Sweet. And so basically you can now on a page, in addition to saying, yeah, I'll put cache this thing for up to 10 hours, you can also say, oh, and by the way, you know, make a dependency on this particular database or this particular table in a database. And the nice thing is with the next version of uh, SQL Server, which is Yukon, you can even set it such that we'll automatically watch all the ADO.NET connections that you make and all the queries that you make as part of that. And so we do that inside the ADO.NET subsystem. Scott, are we really talking about the same thing? Uh, when I was talking about the cache object, uh, I was referring to the object that, that's kind of like the app object on steroids versus output caching, which I think of as something different, being controlled by setting attributes uh, up in the ASP.NET uh, file itself. Yeah, it's, it's actually the same thing. Um, the cache API is kind of the, the Uber thing, which is the programmatic thing that you can control. Um, and you can put any object you want inside that. The way output caching works is it's basically, you can either control it through the response on cache API, or you can also use kind of the declarative output cache directive at the top of the page. And all that does is it basically just saves the output of the page and puts it in the cache. Um, so ultimately, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's the same thing. Cool. And right. what yeah, we've added I never is, realized they were the same. Yeah, it, it's ultimately they're writing to the same cache. And the way the cache works is it'll, it'll automatically monitor the memory usage on the system. And so uh, in addition to controlling policy lifetime, so in other words, if you say, I want to cache this thing for 10 seconds, you know, we'll manage that, but we'll also watch the memory usage on the box. And so if the memory usage starts going up, we'll actually go through the cache and find out what hasn't been accessed recently and start automatically evicting and, and flushing those items from the cache. Hey, Scott, I, this all sounds just absolutely incredible. If you combine this with uh, what we heard from Amanda and Paul Vick about the VB language and WIDB, it just makes for an absolutely stunning package. I, and I think what's on everybody's minds is is this going to be an open beta and you know when can we expect to see when are we going to start talking about Widby in terms of you know what we can download and get our hands on well yeah so the yeah Widby hopefully will be pretty stunning there's a lot of stuff that uh i think i've alluded to about two percent of the overall feature set in asp.net this, <laughs> this kind of hour um oh, man there's, there's an awful lot of good stuff uh that i haven't mentioned um so yeah it, it is gonna be a, a pretty big release um, in terms of when we'll start talking about it publicly, uh, that'll basically begin um, later this month in October. Um, we have two conferences coming up. There's the ASP.NET Connections Conference right. in Palm Springs, um, as well as the PDC Conference in Los Angeles. And at both of those conferences, we're going to start talking about and demoing publicly ASP.NET v2 for the first time. Um, and um, Attendees at the PDC will actually walk away with the ASP.NET 2.0 bits. Wow. 
Um, so that's that's not too far off. Now that's the ASP.NET 2.0 bits. What about the rest of Visual Studio? That includes Wiki? Visual Studio. That'll include um, all the new VB languages. It'll include Yukon. <laughs> and uh, the PDC will also be handing out sneak peek, very early edition of uh, Longhorn, which is the next release of Windows. That includes WIDB as part of it. There will also be a book coming out in October specifically about WIDB. Uh, it's called, I think, a, a preview of ASP.NET 2.0 coming out from Madison Wesley. Um, and you'll be able to get that as well. And uh, it's similar to the preview book that came out at the PDC 2000, uh, which first talked about what was called ASP Plus back then, but became ASP at NV1. Yeah, so it'll basically be a public beta in October? Uh, it won't be a public beta in October. Um, it it's will actually, or won't? It will not. Okay. Um, it will be an alpha release, and it will be a somewhat restricted alpha release. I see. Um, the public beta will probably start in the spring. Um, and at that point, then anyone can download it. And, and at that point, it will also be feature complete. You know, an important thing to keep in mind if you do see the Whidbey bits um, this fall is that it's only about two-thirds of the way done um, yeah. in terms of features. So there's an awful lot of features that are coming still, um, especially in the tool. And, uh, and so you know, if you're missing a feature, if you're going, gosh, you know, why haven't they finished implementing this? It's because we're not quite done yet. Um, there's still a lot more coming. Um, but once it's once it is feature complete in the spring, we'll then go to a widespread beta. Well, we're just about out of time. Mark, do you have any other last-minute questions to ask? No, just a comment. I'm I'm going to be dreaming about the stuff that you've talked about today, <laughs> Scott. <laughs> oh, good. It's it's uh, it's pretty fun. Like I, I think, you know, uh, I think once uh, once everything is finished, and you know, as I mentioned, um, stuff even that we're showing in the Alpha time frame at the PDC and, and even later this month at ASMA Connections that so far kind of blows people away. Um, once you see the beta bits, you know the beta bits put this stuff to shame. Um, so there's a, there's an awful lot more coming in the beta time frame and uh, the experience in, in, the, in the full beta is kind of we hope be truly kind of mind blowing. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a pretty fun release and and the key thing the key thing when we talk about at the beginning like the 70% code reduction. Yeah. Which, you know, you might or might not believe as part of this interview, but when you get to play with it, you, you might start to believe it. It's The goal at the, at the end of the day isn't actually just that, hey, you know, life becomes so much simpler that we stop developing. Right. It's more that you can actually take that reduction and take all the features that are now in the box. And by not having to spend all your time doing a lot of grunt code um, and, and figure out kind of low-level wire-up stuff that you, that, you know, just to get common stuff working, you can actually step back and you can make your app dramatically better um, because you can take advantage of rich features like personalization um, yeah. that we'll include in the box, like role management, um, like some of the richer data, object model, um, object binding type of features. And you can actually build just a dramatically richer experience for an end user um, that's visiting the app. And as a result, you can actually take that time that you otherwise would have spent just trying to get simple stuff working and you can really make your, your apps rock. Well, that's great, man. And at the end of the day, we just build dramatically better solutions. Well, this has been a this has been one of my favorite shows. I, it, you know, it's just like Christmas time. Like I told Amanda and Paul, I feel like uh, like Mark. I'm going to be dreaming myself. And uh, I, I guess uh, I'll see you at Dev Connections, and we'll we'll also be gearing up to do a, some Whidbey classes here at Franklin's Net in the spring. Um, I guess I'll I'll see you there. Sounds great. In the meantime, what I'd recommend to people that aren't going to be either at the ASP.NET Connections conference or the PDC this, uh, this October. Um, the things, things to watch out for is to visit the uh, www.asp.net website. 
um, fairly frequently. And we will be posting a, um, a section on the site dedicated to Whidbey um, later this month. Great. And uh, it will specifically have kind of a 101 cool things coming out and, and go into some detail there that you can actually read and hopefully uh, um, salivate over, as well as uh, a link to the book um, about V2 that you can go ahead and download even if you don't have the bits, or you can go ahead and buy even if you don't have the bits, and um, as well as some samples that you can take a look at as well. Great. And uh, that'll give a good early taste of what V2 looks like. And then the key thing just to reiterate is the fact that all your existing code will work just fine on V2. So, you know, keep while, while V2 is on the horizon and looking great, you know, keep writing ASP.NET V11. Yeah, and, uh, it's important. And uh, it'll uh, get even better in V2. Scott, on behalf of myself, Mark, the listening public, the, the teeming millions out there, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the show and telling us all about Whidbey. Great stuff. Thanks for having me. All right. Absolutely, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Let's talk later.